Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Deborah So podcast. My guest this week is Zuby. Zuby is a rapper, the host of Real Talk with Zuby, and the author of Strong Advice. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review. I read all of them. Follow me on social media at Dr. Deborah So. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you could do so on Patreon at Dr. Deborah So. Hi, Zuby. It's great to see you again. So the last time I chatted with you was last year on Real Talk with Zuby. I'm very excited to get to catch up with you today. So can we start by discussing a bit about your background and how you came to be the women's deadlift champion of the world? Sure thing. Good to see you, Deborah. Um, so and don't be modest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you want to you want to start for straight from the deadlift? <laughs> sure. Or even your logic leading up into it. Yeah, sure thing. So I posted that three years ago now. So it was February 26, 2019. So at the time I had about 18,000 Twitter followers. That's after being on the platform for 10 years. And um, I kept seeing stories. I'd seen stories over several years of biological males competing in female sports, saying that they're trans women. And I saw this happen in, there was that whole Fallon Fox situation in the MMA. And then I saw various situations happening in everything from athletics to weightlifting to handball. And then on that day, that morning, I was actually on Twitter. I was doing a pop-up shop at the time and it was a down it was downtime. It was early in the morning. There weren't a lot of people out shopping. And I was just on Twitter and I saw two stories that same morning about biological males competing against females and winning, I think, both situations in the USA, I believe. And I think it was athletics. I think um, they actually got first and second place. And out of curiosity, I just was like, oh, I wonder what the I wonder what the women's deadlift record is like. I'm, I've got a really strong deadlift. So I just Googled it, <laughs> British women's deadlift record. And I think it was about, uh, what was the number? I think it was about 200, about 210 kilos. And wow. my max is 275, you know, 210 is a, is a great lift, but I was like, okay, I can, I can smoke that. And I actually had a video <laughs> on my phone existing, which is the one that I posted. That was just from one of my training sessions. It wasn't from a competition or anything, but that was a video of me doing 230. So I just posted it on Twitter and I wrote a caption, something like, I keep hearing about how biological men have no strength advantage over women in 2019. So watch me destroy the British women's deadlift record without trying. P.S. I identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight. Don't be a bigot. So I just posted that just like I post all my other tweets. I, I wasn't there mm -hmm. thinking, okay, this is going to be, this is my moment. This is what's going <laughs> to launch me to a million people. <laughs> exactly. I just put it out there and very quickly I realized something was going on. Um, within about 10 minutes, the video had about 10,000 views. And I think it hit a hundred thousand within the first two hours. And then it just kept going and going. I woke up the following morning. I gained about 5,000 followers. The video had half a million views. It kept on going. I started getting contacted by all sorts of media in the UK, in the USA, in Australia, everywhere, everything, Fox News, Sky News, BBC, the Sunday Telegraph, everyone you know, contacting me, emailing me, wanting to interview me and talk about this thing. And it just kept going million views, one and a half, two million. <laughs> it just kept growing and growing. Going. <laughs> and literally this went on for weeks. This went on for weeks. My, my followers jumped to 20,000, 30,000, 40,000. And um, I remember waking up one morning 
and I had a bunch of messages on my phone. I had all these WhatsApp messages and everything and all these DMs on Twitter and people like, yo, Joe Rogan just shouted you out. Joe Rogan just mentioned, I was like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? And then his, uh, he did an episode with Brian Callen and they did a, a segment about my viral deadlift video. And the, he, he also shouted me out in the video and he, that's when he started following me on Twitter. Um, and then I go on Twitter and he DM'd me just saying like, dude, this is like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was so, very vocal about it. He's one of the first people yeah, to be very vocal about it. Yeah, absolutely. So it just, it just kept going. Um, and then it was kind of a catalyst. It was a flashpoint where a lot of people discovered me through that. So as you know, tweets go viral on Twitter all the time, but oftentimes the, there's nothing really behind it and there's no follow-up. But in my case, because of all the work I'd already done with my music, with my podcasting, with everything else, people, it wasn't just my tweet that went viral, but it was right. a moment for people to discover me and what I actually do. And once people came into the fold, then I had a lot of stuff for them ongoing, as you know, as we're talking now, this is three years after that mm -hmm. tweet, but I've been able to carry on and continue to build that momentum because people saw that, okay, this isn't just a one trick pony. This is actually a very interesting person and he has other stuff to offer the world. So it was a very strange way to come to prominence in the way that, in the <laughs> way that I did and to be discovered by so many people across the world, because before that, my audience was primarily in the UK, but um, I'm very grateful for how it happened. Why do you think that video resounded so widely with people? It's a great question. I think it was a number of things. I think partly the timing. The timing was, I think we were kind of reaching peak woke. <laughs> mm. And this is prior to all the COVID drama. So yeah. a lot of the conversations were still around wokeism and this sort of cultural war battle. And also the Olympics was supposed to be coming up in 2020. So there were mm -hmm. a lot of discussions going on about what the rules should be regarding transgender athletes. Because for example, there was that uh, weightlifter from New Zealand who there was debate around whether or not um, that individual should be able to compete against women. And so the IOC, I just want to mention, went back. I remember during that time, because I was writing my book, they, they were going back and forth and back and forth, and they couldn't mm -hmm. decide what they were going to do. And, and the guidelines were quite lenient at the time because they set it at 10 nanomoles per liter in terms of the testosterone levels. But um, there's some, I think it's swimming now that has set it back to five, five nanomoles per liter in terms yeah. of testosterone levels, which is more fair. But it's, continue. It's, it's all ridiculous. It should just be a straight no. Like I, I can't believe this is even up for debate. Um, mm. But anyway, that's my. That's my view. But, it's gotten um, a lot like, worse definitely if, if since you, then. If you're yeah. a male, if you're a male, you don't compete against females. Period. Um, and so, but I think because so th there was the timing aspect, but I think more importantly, it was something that everybody knows and has been thinking, but was not willing to say, or people who were saying it they were always coming with the scientific arguments, right? People are there giving logical explanations me, as yeah. to why. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. People are giving lo very logical and scientific explanations, explaining, you know, bone density and muscle mass and mm -hmm. testosterone levels and all of these things. And if you're dealing with people who have reached a, a conclusion based off of emotion, then logic doesn't work on, right? But what you can mm -hmm. do is you can take their logic and reasoning and just run it to its full conclusion, which is what I did. Or so instead them. of me pushing back against it, I man, I just took it and I said, oh, okay, great. Those are the rules. Fantastic. Here we go. <laughs> um, 
And also, I think because it was funny, of course, I think the fact that it had video, so it just demonstrated, it wasn't an explanation, it was just demonstrating how ridiculous it is. I mean, I literally just walk up to the weight, pick it up, put it down, and boom, I'm stronger than every woman in the UK. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I I, I think the the video had a factor. And I think also it was important that um, it it wasn't attacking anybody. It was a total checkmate, right? It was a total checkmate Mm -hmm. because... There was nothing, um, it wasn't like targeting any individual and no one could say that it was like, it was hateful or whatever. And it also, if people claim to, if people denied that I was the woman, then they're breaking their own rules because you've been telling us for years that a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman. Um, so either I'm a woman and I'm the British woman's deadlift record holder, or your argument is nonsense. It's one of the two. There's, there's no there's no other way to go from that. And something I really found interesting, uh, Deborah, was during the when I was doing all these media appearances on very mainstream channels, the amount of people working in those places who were like, "Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you, finally, finally," especially women, <laughs> especially women, <laughs> who were like, "Thank you for finally." Like someone has finally just shown how stupid this whole thing is. Um, well, they didn't say I that on you, air, but like I remember you saying the, that to me uh, when mm-hmm. when um, I was on your podcast, and I was shocked. And I think it's it's really great that that's the case because I assume that people were coming after you. I wonder what it is about sports that people because it say something like criticizing gender transition in children. It seems like people are more reluctant to speak out about that so i think with the sports like you're saying it's such a visceral thing when people see it, they can't deny what is in front of their eyes it's it's just reality it's reality men and women are different we've always known this it's not it's not just unique to the uh human species either um and no one questioned this until about seven or eight years ago do you know do you know my feeling on this i i don't believe that anyone i don't actually believe that anyone believes all this stuff I don't believe mm. it. I don't think anyone believes it. I think not that, even the activists. No, I don't think they believe it. They can't. They can't. Like it, it's it's not it's not logical. I think it's a gigantic game. Just like I think there's a gigantic game that's being played with um some of the response to you know the pandemic response with the masks and stuff. Right? People walk mm. into a restaurant, they put on put on a mask for thirty seconds. They walk to a table, sit down, take it off, and eat for ninety minutes. And then they stand up and put it back on religiously again. And like, it's all a game. It's role play. It's role play. Um, and then I think it's, it's, a, it's that. And then mass cowardice, right? People know that it doesn't make sense. Everybody knows it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's not rational. But they're too afraid of the social consequences of saying so. And I think one advantage I have in this world is that I don't mind temporarily appearing like the bad guy in order to defend the truth. And a lot of people are not comfortable with that. I don't care if someone calls me a, a bigot, a transphobe, a freaking white supremacist, like whatever. Like it, it's, it's all so ridiculous, right? Because it, it slides off me because it's like, well, I know I'm not any of these things. Uh, I'm not operating from some position of hate. I'm not attacking right. any individual or group or whatever. I think it's extremely important to defend reality, right? We have enough conflict about opinions and things that are subjective and things that we can't 100% be absolutely sure of. Um, but with the things that we we know, 
if you can get accept get people to accept that a man is actually a woman, like literally biological, a man is a woman or a woman mm-hmm. is a man. Men men can get pregnant. Men can. If you can get someone to accept that and believe that or pretend they do, then you're in serious trouble as a society. And I don't think people get how deep that is because there are very few things. There are few things that are more cut and dry and binary and self-evident than males and females being different. I mean, a two-year-old can tell you the difference between a man and a woman. Um, This is cross-cultural. This has been all the case all throughout history. A man has never in a male in the whole history of the world, a male human being has never menstruated or given birth at any time in any place ever. And what if he identifies so how as female, have, though? You can identify as whatever you want. <laughs> I support people's right to identify no, as I, I agree anything. With you. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I, I do think there are some of these activists who are so delusional that they do actually believe it because they want to believe it so much. I, I don't think the majority of them are like that. I think, like you're mm-hmm. saying, a lot of it is mass cowardice. But my sense in interacting with these people, I have seen some, say, trans women say that they have a cervix. I'm thinking, but that's not physically possible. So either you're saying that because it's a it's a statement you're trying to push on people and you just want them to go along with it because that's what you want to believe, that there are no differences. Or I think because it's an education as well, some of these younger people genuinely don't know because that's what they're being taught. If they're being taught it by their professors, like that's really scary to me because maybe, maybe there's a, maybe there's a tiny percent, maybe there's a tiny percent of true believers. Um, But you know, people are also allowed their delusions and people, (laughs) people can believe whatever people can believe whatever they want. And I support people's right to believe whatever they want. The problem comes with trying to force it on other people. That's always, that's always my issue. Right. That's always my issue. And, and funnily mm-hmm. enough, in modern Western society, we've recognized this in some instances and it's implicitly understood. So, for example, uh, take religion. You know, I'm a Christian. But if I were trying, if I were going around trying to force everybody to believe exactly what I believe in terms of my religion, or if, I'm, if a Jewish person were doing that, we all inherently understand that. That's a no-no, right? That that's a problem. Um, you can you can talk about your beliefs, you can practice your faith, you can go to uh, your free to worship or not worship. We t- we totally get that. You have you have religious freedom. This is something that's actually fantastic about the Western world because it's not like this. Mm-hmm. It's not like this everywhere. Um, however, the the line being crossed is not about what you believe and what you want to practice. It's about forcing other people and and wanting to attack or punish or put in even legislation that other people must adhere to what you what you believe. So to me that's the problem. If someone wants to if a man wants to live his life like a woman or a woman wants to live her her life like a man or even uh adjust what they look like or dress a certain way, I might I might think certain things are weird, right? I'm allowed to think things are weird, right? I think if a man's walking down the street wearing a dress, I think that's weird. Right, I'm not going to go up to him and attack him or call him names or whatever. In my brain, I might just walk past. That's strange. Why is a dude, with, big dude with a beard, wearing a dress? That's weird. Um, just like if I walk past down the street and I saw somebody just walking backwards or walking on their hands, right? I'd be like, that's that's peculiar. Um, but you're allowed this to walk down the street backwards. Every day. Yeah, it's, it's it's peculiar. It's odd. 
Um, but, but it's fine. However, if they said, no, you have to walk down the street backwards now, right? Like you're not allowed to walk forwards. You have to walk backwards. I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't want to walk backwards. Mm. Um, so that's always for me that that's the line. That's the issue. And funnily enough with this whole situation, most people would have no problem with it. If people, if, if nothing was being forced on them, I think a lot yeah. of people have been forced to care about this issue, right? People yeah. who before were like, maybe they didn't even know it existed. They were just like, yeah, whatever. But then when you start going after people's children or you start doing mm-hmm. all this nonsense with sports, which affects every, every female who competes in competitive sports, um, or you start trying to change laws so that people have to speak in a certain way or use certain words, all of that stuff it forces people to care. And that's where the battle comes from. And funnily enough, I think that the people who are probably most harmed by this are people who are transgender or whatever, who actually just want to be left alone, right? Yeah. Who, who don't want to have all the spotlight on them and have people debating all of these things because it, it creates more, it creates more heat. And from what I know, like, I don't know lots of trans people. I know a few, which is more than most people know. Um, but they just want to live their life and be accept, not, not be mistreated, not be discriminated against, not get attacked, all of that. And I'm like, yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you. I don't think anybody should be mistreated for, you know, any of the, any of these things, right. As, As human beings, we should be able to accept differences and at a minimum treat each other with decency and civility and not be, you know, harsh on people. For no reason, um, so that's, yeah, that's my personal view. Yeah, definitely don't don't speak for everyday trans people, and I would imagine it's very frustrating for them to have these people talking over them and and misrepresenting their concerns. Mm. So you you mentioned this a little bit already, but I'm curious. So you've been so fearless in your commentary in terms of COVID, race, you know, how you identify as female. What has helped you to be so fearless, even when you face such criticism and backlash? <laughs> Um, it's a good question. I think a lot of, a lot of it is just my personality type. I think a lot of it is, is just how I'm wired and how I've always been wired. I think some of it is also, I think my experiences I've had ranging from, I have, I've had a lot of unique experiences in life and, um, you know, being an independent musician, for example, I used to go out and just sell my CDs on the street. So I've, I've mm-hmm. spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. You know, I sold over 25,000 albums in the UK, just going yeah. around from city to city and talking to strangers and selling my music on the street and then eventually in shopping malls. So you build a really thick skin, right? If when it comes mm-hmm. to being criticized, <laughs> being ignored, being loved, being praised, being treated, all sorts of, like anything that anyone can say to me I've, has been said to my face, essentially. What are some of the things, um, what are some of the worst things people have said to you while you're selling your music? Wow. Um, I remember one that stuck out. I remember someone, you know, you, you get, you get the stuff that's more minor. Uh, you get, you know, so oftentimes you get ignored. Um, you know, I've been told to F off before. Um, mm. I've had someone tell me, you know, you've had people tell you like, oh, you know, get a real job or stop begging or that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Because oftentimes people don't even know what you're, what it is that you're doing. Um, I remember one one guy I approached and he said, uh, he said that he's not a, he said he can't listen to hip hop because he doesn't worship the devil or something, something <laughs> weird 
something really weird like that. <laughs> One of the worst experiences I actually had was with a street preacher who was oh. claiming that um, he was like really, really aggressive. Like I was like, man, this guy's doing a, this guy's doing a really bad job of representing Christianity. Um, but he was essentially, he, he was giving me a lot of grief because my music is not explicitly gospel music. And he was saying that I'm uh, that I'm using my my talents for the devil, and that I'm prostituting myself, and that I'm oh. a, like, he he was he was going like hard. I mean, like <laughs> it, it was it was so weird because it's like a complete stranger, right? I'm just out yeah. and about in a city, and he sees you know we're both out there on the street, mm. out there talking to people. You know, he's telling everyone that they're going to go to hell and whatever. Um, very loving message. And I'm just out there <laughs> chatting to people and he sees me doing it. And he, you know, he inquires about my music. And if it's, if it's worship music, if it's gospel, I tell him I'm a hip hop mm -hmm. artist. And then he kind of goes on this huge tirade about, you know, hip hop and rap and how it's uh, devilish and I'm working for Satan. And it was very, very weird. Um, so I've had some, I've had, a, I've had a lot of positive experiences too, but anyway, How do you, you know, excuse doing, yourself doing, at the, at the end of an interaction? Yeah. Like yeah. That. But you know, doing, doing that for years, you, you just build up a tough skin and also just being a musician, you get criticized all the time. You know, you get criticized mm -hmm. all the time. You get praise, but you get a lot of criticism. Um, and something about being an artist as well is people conflate you and your music. So, mm -hmm. and I'm not, this like happens with every artist, right? You'll, you'll hear people saying, Oh, I, I hate Justin Bieber, you know, or I hate this. It's like, do you know him? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, do you know, like you don't like his music, but now you're, taking like as an individual, you, you don't like his art. So you hate him. And I'm like, you know, people, I'm not in a policing language, but people should be like a little careful about how they, how they word things and think about what, what they really mean by what they say. So that was, um, that was certainly part of it just in terms of building like a really thick skin in terms of interacting with other human beings and facing criticism. So there's very little that can kind of be said to me online that makes me you know, freak out or, you know, get really, really sad or anything mm. like that. I think another part of it was, um, you know, I went to boarding school from the age of 11 mm -hmm. and especially in the first school I went to, <laughs> there, were, there were some, UK. yeah, this is in the UK, but I was living in Saudi Arabia. So I was, you know, thousands right. of miles away from my parents. And, um, there were couples, there were some stupid rules in the school. So I think I have a, uh, I have a, a particular top intolerance or, or hatred of stupid rules <laughs> that don't make any sense. And like we've what? been living, sorry. Well, give me, can you give me an example of one of the rules you had to live with? We had to have the first and last five minutes of every meal in silence. And why is that? Because that's the rule, Deborah. That's the rule. <laughs> don't ask questions. Just follow the rule. It sounds creepy to me. Follow the science. <laughs> All right. That, that, no, but that was the reason because that was the rule. Oh, right. You know, so I think I have a particular disdain for, I have, I'm not, yeah. I'm not naturally rebellious. Like I don't have this, oh, I just hate authority. I hate rules. But if a rule exists just to exist, then mm. that really jars and bothers me. And then I think beyond that, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm a hyper assertive person. And um, mm. I also just, you know, and I, I think all this stuff is important. You know, I, I look a lot at history. I observe humanity a lot. I'm very analytical. And something that has struck me um, is that things get really bad, not because most people are cruel or evil or mean, bad or anything, 
but because people are often silent or cowardly in the face of something that's obviously wrong. That's and typically happens slowly. Yeah, that's typically the problem. And you this this goes from like huge historic atrocities to things that are might seem more minor. So with some of the things we're talking about, you know, someone might be like, "Oh, you know, like it doesn't really matter." But then you you let that creep in for a certain amount of time and then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, how did how did things get so far?" Right? How are mm-hmm. How is Canada in the situation it's in right now? And it's like, well, you let <laughs> that happen. You. <laughs> you could have nipped that in the bud, right? That could have been nipped in the bud, like it was in many places, right? Um, there are places who they tried to, you know, put in the mandates and this and that, and people stood up and were like, no, like we're not, we're not doing this, we're not having this. Um, and it's they our relented. Politeness. Yeah, and then there's places where it continues to go and it keeps going. You can literally see, like around the world right now, there's places that are like, okay, like. We're done. We're free. Some places never even really started. Other places are continuing to get more and more restricted and less and less liberty. Um, and this is all supposedly in response to the same threat. So, hmm. you know, and you can even look at the, if you want to go into the numbers and the statistics, you'll see that it's not, there's no correlation really between how restrictive and harsh places have been and how, you know, how few mandates yeah. or restrictions they've had. And this is very clear, but even still now, even people who know that something is wrong, they feel it, they know this doesn't make sense. The numbers are not scary. This variant is weak. Uh, there's not much, there's never been much conclusive evidence for a lot of these measures. Lots of the stuff is irrational, illogical, but they still won't say anything. They still mm-hmm. won't say anything, right? They rely on those of us who are willing to speak out. And that's not, that's just not enough. And Oftentimes I used to look at history and I'd always be like, man, how did, you know, you look at bad things that happened in history and you're just like, how, how did that happen? Right. How did it, yeah. how did it go so far? Was everybody just, was everybody just crazy and evil? And it's like, no, most people were just cowardly. Most people were not willing to sacrifice anything or even risk the potential of sacrificing anything. People were scared about their jobs. They were worried about their families. They mm-hmm. were worried about the consequences of speaking up, let alone acting out. And that is how really bad things happen. So I I have an awareness and for me to be able to kind of live with myself and speak, sleep well at night, I can't see something that is just massively wrong or unjust and not at least say something. Um, I think, um, yeah, that, that, that's me. So it's a, it's a combination of things, I guess. What would you say to someone who does want to speak up but is afraid? Because that's probably the most common thing people ask me. They say, you know, I'm not okay with this, but I'm afraid. How's it going to affect me? I'm afraid of my friends and family not wanting to talk to me. Yeah, what would you say? Mm, First thing I'll say is that the imagination, the imaginary consequences are nearly always worse than the real ones. Mm -hmm. Always. I find that too. Yep. What what people conjure up in their head, and, and people do this in everything, by the way, you know, there can be a guy who sees a, a cute girl and he wants to approach her and say hi. And he's like, what he imagines in his brain is that she's going to like scream at him and call him names and maybe slap him and throw a drink on him. It's like the, the chances of that happening are, are zero. Like it's not, that's not going to happen. Right. At worst, she might be like, oh, hey, you know, chat for a while and be like, yeah, you know, I've got a boyfriend. It's like, okay, it's not, mm. not the end of the world. Right. <laughs> but, or you could have a, a, a better, you know, something even better. But what people imagine in their brain 
is so much worse than the reality. And oftentimes I think it's even worse thinking, you know, what, what is, what's the worst that can happen? And it's also important, perhaps more importantly, to think about the consequences of not doing so. And I think that is, that should be the strongest motivator. And I say, I say this especially because I do get a lot of people who are like, well, Zuby, look, you're, you're self-employed um, and you're a single man. So you don't have, you know, I have a family and a job and a mortgage. Firstly, not, you know, that's not special. Having a family and a job is most people have families and jobs. Like it's not some unique, special situation that you are in. That is the norm. Um, but also, especially for people with children, and this is important, think about the future you want them to inherit. Do you want your children to have less freedom and less liberty than you? Do you want them to have less human rights than you? Do you want them to live in a world where um, reality doesn't matter or where you've just got a tiny percent of people setting all the rules for everyone? Because if you stay silent, that's what you're going to get. Because if you stay silent, you might think in the short term, it might seem like the um, it might seem like the expedient thing to do, and it might seem like the safe thing to do. But in the long term, it's extraordinarily dangerous. Um, and I think especially in these past two years, that should be that should be so clear to people, right? If you don't take yeah. a stand, then it keeps it keeps going. It keep it keeps encroaching, and little bit by little bit by little bit, your freedoms get chipped away, um, your rights get stripped away. And before you know it, you're looking up going, oh, how did we get here? It's like, well, you got here because you didn't say no. You didn't stand up mm -hmm. and say, no, okay, we need to draw a line and this is not okay. This is not good. We don't want things going in this direction. And so I think that's the most important thing that people can do is to not just think about the, the short term, but think long term. Okay, what I, I think about this a lot. I don't have children yet. But I know I will in the future. And I often think about, you know, what what world or country do I want them to inherit and inhabit? Um, and I think at a very at a bare minimum, you should want the next generation to at least have the same level of freedom and human rights as you do. I think that should be like the minimum inheritance you can give them, like not, not just money or property or whatever. I think the minimum is that you at least defend. Um, the rights and the freedoms. And this is what people have done in previous generations. You know, I mean, millions and millions of men especially have, have died in the course of this, right? Why do people fight for World War One, World War II? A lot of this was to defend against tyranny, right? People mm -hmm. were literally going out there, taking bullets, getting blown up to pieces to have freedom, right? To have freedom, to not live in a future where you're under an authoritarian, totalitarian dictatorship. And now, you know, men now are more afraid to be criticized online than to, or to have a disciplinary meeting with their HR board, which again is even unlikely. Mm, um, that's a good point. Yeah. They're, 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 more, they're, they're more afraid of that than men, their grandparents were to take a bullet, right? Even when people say, oh, you know, I'm worried about my job. It's like, well, firstly, what kind of company is going to fire you because you just have like a basic opinion? I mean, I'm not saying that's well, never happened because we've seen rare situations it where it happens, but that's not the common, norm. Though. You're not, you're unlikely to get let go from your job because I don't know, you, <laughs> you voted for Trump 
or you I don't think, think men would, can. What was that? I think people would, though. I hear a lot of horror stories from people who, you know, if they are found out to be a Trump supporter or if they criticize anything, especially if they're white, they criticize any of this diversity stuff, they face repercussions. I, I agree with you in that I think people should still be willing to speak up, but I do think the threat is there. I, I think I think it can happen. Um, however, I, I two, two points to that. Number one, I, as I think, you know, you're, you're going to hear those stories. Um, you know, those, those could be rare, right? That might be, that might happen 1% of the time could happen 2% of the time. Um, but because you're, you're going to have that kind of bias of people telling you about that because we talk about these things. Do you, you kind of see what I mean? Um, so you're not going to hear the story of the person who, you know, they, they, they spoke out and and nothing happened because that, yeah, that's not a story. Um, then also I think, look, if you are, and you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, uh, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but do you want to work for an employer who doesn't just have a very basic respect for you and your views, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they have to agree with you or whatever, but I mean, do you want to work with someone who's so intolerant you have to work, walk on so many eggshells that you can't even yeah. be, be yourself? I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy to me. So I think if you're, if you're employed by someone like that, you're already, <laughs> you're, some, something's going to happen at some point anyway, because that's, that's, that's kind of crazy. I also don't believe like every employer, I mean, not every employer is like run by super woke lefties or something. I mean, who are hyper intolerant. That's, that's not the reality. Um, and also here's one more thing. And this comes back to the cowardice point. People need to mass cowardice is, is the pandemic. And this goes for employers. This goes for people's colleagues this goes for individuals, right? If, if, if I work for a company and one of my, uh, coworkers, one of my colleagues is comes under fire for a benign tweet or something, I'll defend him. Mm-hmm. People need to defend each other, right? People need to defend each other. Employers need to defend their employees. If I employ, if I, if I've got someone working for me and someone, you know, sends me an email saying, Hey, you know, you're, you should fire that guy because he, he tweeted something silly 12 years ago. I'd be like, no, go away. I won't even reply. Right. Like you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to cater to the most sensitive, most easily offended, weakest people in the entire world. Right. You don't need to cater to the, the, the weakest 1% all the time, the weakest and whiniest 1%. And I think one of the biggest problems in the West is people have forgotten this. They think you have to, every time, you know, three people on Twitter, get mad at something or get mad at someone, right? And, oh, we, we need to, we need to entertain them and we need to apologize to them and we need to meet all their demands. It's like, no, go away, toughen up, suck it up. Like it's not, I, I think that's a big problem. So you end up with this sort of tyranny of the minority situation. By the way, again, I think this has happened with the whole COVID thing, right? It's like you're catering to the most neurotic, most hysterical, most scaredy people in society, right? So no one else, no one can live. No one, no one can just live their life because this little number of people are afraid. So if you're that scared, stay home. I don't care. If you are that hide scared, in, hide in a cupboard. That's your right, right? But if you're like, no, everyone else in my country must also stay home. They must also do this. They must also do that. Why? To make me feel safe. You don't have a right inherently to feel safe. That's not a right, right? You don't even have a right not to get sick. People should, can't, people should go around in, intentionally infecting each other. 
or intentionally try. Of, of, of course not. Like we, we've never done that, but our entire lives, every time you, you go outside your house, you're, you're taking, you're, you're taking a risk. You get in a car, you're taking a risk. You get on a plane, you do anything, you cycle, you are taking some kind of risk every single time. And that that's just inherent. We can't reduce all risk and all threats and everything to zero. You can't have a situation where you never, you feel 100% safe all, all the time, all the time. you know? That's not. I think that's an reasonable. interesting point because uh, I interviewed Dan Holloway the other day. He's uh, one of the co-hosts of Drinking Bros, the podcast, mm. and he's also a veteran. And I, you know, speaking with him, I just can't imagine what it's like going to war and knowing that you potentially face death every day. And I do think when you have that experience, I'm sure it puts things in a different perspective compared with getting on social media and being afraid of what people are gonna, you don't even need to be on social media just to, to live in fear that people on social media or that people out there somewhere are gonna be criticizing you. I don't know how we got to this point that like you said, people are so cowardly and that it is all of the way up. I, it just seems weird to me and I, I try not to judge people because for myself, I think I would not be okay not speaking my mind and I would not be okay if I see someone I care about being attacked I feel it very strongly in me. I have to defend this person. Yes. I would not be okay staying quiet. And so I, I don't understand when people are able to just put their head down and hope mm. that no one will bother them, but things are not getting better. You know, I think at some point people are going to get so sick of it that we will come around. But mm. I just, I don't understand that behavior of people who are okay. They just say, all right, you're on your own. I don't, I don't want to take this on. I don't want to deal with it. I think I know what it is, Deborah. And this is actually really important for people to understand, which is that both courage and cowardice are habits, right? People forget mm. that as human beings were such habitual creatures. So if you get used to defaulting to the cowardly, the easy way out, the path of least resistance in, in anything and everything, by the way, if that's your default is the path of least resistance, that becomes a habit. It becomes a habit so that anytime there is a conflict or there is something where you need to speak up or you default you default to not doing anything you default to inaction and putting your head down and you know not wanting anything to happen someone like yourself someone like myself you default to the more courageous option right because you're you're used to doing that you've done it before you do it every day right from writing writing your book to just using social media to i'm sure even in your real world day-to-day -day interactions you're not so conflict averse and afraid of afraid of any debate or discussion that you shy away every single time. But when people get used to that, it becomes a habit. And what, if you do that for years and years and years, then it becomes extraordinarily difficult actually to break out of it because you haven't, you haven't trained that muscle. For me, speaking my mind is the default. I do it all day. <laughs> I do it all day, every day. It, it would be hard for me not to like, if, oh, I see something and I, I really feel I want to say something, it would be hard for me to suppress it. So I think that's another reason why it's important for people to build that courage muscle, I guess, so mm -hmm. that when a time comes when it's really needed, you've built up enough reps to be able to say something. Because because let, let's be real, what a lot of the stuff we're talking right now, we're just dealing in the realm of, of words, right? We're just talking about you know, just, just saying things again, like I, I look back, if I watch documentaries and things about like world war one or world war two, I'm like, holy crap, man. Mm. Like people used to be brave, 
Like, I don't know. I, I watched that and I'm like, man, I don't know if seeing like the D-Day landings or something. I'm like, dude, man, I don't want to. <laughs> I do not. I do Even not want to do that. deployed. I don't know how people are okay with knowing that they're, I'd be like, I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> right. So people are there like, oh, Zuby, you're so brave. You're so courageous. I'm like, dude, I'm just talking. I'm just talking. I'm not going and facing bullets and like, yeah. I'm there and okay, I'm going to go land and I've got people literally trying to kill me. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not well that's what dan situation. was saying he was like it's really it's really satisfying when someone is trying to kill you and you kill them instead and i was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that's what i mean right but i'm sure for him like that's that's become almost like i mean if you if you are a, like, a soldier and you're going into that's battle, tuesday <laughs> yeah, like that's that's your habit right that that's the norm that's kind of the baseline that's the default i'm sure those guys are not worried about uh what what a mean tweet Trolls or something are like saying. that <laughs> So yeah, you're super optimistic. You're always lifting up your audience and giving them amazing advice and encouraging them. What is your best piece of business advice for listeners? Ooh, business advice. Okay, this is business advice slash life advice. But if you can find if you can find an intersection between something you are very good at. And something that people need or want, um, and something that has a some type of monetary value. Then, if you can find that intersection point, and a few people do, then that's really the key to both a successful business and just being very being very happy about it. When I look at people who are both very happy and successful, um, whether they're employed, you know, whether, whether you've got your own business or, or you're employed, if you can find that intersection, then you've, you've kind of, you've kind of won. Like that's the, that's the ultimate life hack. If you can make a living, uh, doing something that you are good at and you enjoy and people like and value, then that's awesome. I think a lot of misery in the world, comes from people spending huge amounts of time doing things that doing things that they hate and don't find fulfilling and mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 important to have all three because you might be you might be passionate about something and there's a demand for it but if you're not good at it then it doesn't really matter um or you might be good at something and there's a demand for it but if you don't genuinely enjoy it then you're going to be a bit miserable and resentful um, or if you're passionate about it and good at it, but there's just no demand, then it could be that that's a hobby, right? That's a great hobby, yeah. but you're not going to be able to actually earn an income and sustain from it. So, you know, some people say, follow your passion and, or some people are like, no, don't follow your passion. To me, it's like, well, follow your passion, but you also have to be good at the thing and people need to, if you, if you want it to be a business, there has to be some sort of want, there has to be some kind of demand for it. And uh, I think, yeah, I think that's probably the best business advice I can give if I'm going to, I'm going to take one thing. And what's a typical day like for you then? <laughs> I don't have typical days, honestly. It really, it really, really depends on what I'm doing. I do so many things from music to podcasts to live performances and speeches and it, it totally depends on what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, I tend to write down like the day before I just kind of plan a couple things I do. And I try to dedicate different, cause I do a lot of different things. I actually try to dedicate 
uh, each day to mainly be one of them or even each week. So this week I've been doing a lot of interviews and podcasts. Um, and I'm not in, I'm not in creative mode. I'm not in music mode right now. Mm. I'm also not really in like money-making mode. All right. I might have a week, a few days where it's like, all right, this is money week. Like I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, right. Like, right. This is money week. I'm going to, yeah. yeah, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a lot of sales. I'm going to uh, get some new business. I'm going to, I'm going to do all that. And then I have times where, uh, for example, if I'm working on a new album. Um, so actually with my last album, Word of Zuby, you know, late 2020, I just went out to Bucharest, Romania, and I stayed there for two months and I just wrote the album. I wasn't, That's cool. I wasn't doing interviews. Um, I wasn't like spending much. I was just, yeah, I was just in music mode, right? I woke up, wake up in the morning, uh, exercise, and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to write a song today. And so over the course of, I wrote the album in about four or five weeks. Um, and because because it, it, it's hard for me to switch, it's almost like different parts of my brain. So right now, I wouldn't write a great I wouldn't write a great song right now because I'm in kind of intellectual, cerebral, talkative yeah. mode. Um, and then I have like business mode, and then I have like creative mode. So, and I also like doing all these different things I do because some sometimes people are confused by the amount of different things I do, but for me, they each sort of satisfy a very different part of my, of my brain and my being. So I kind of have like my, all my fitness stuff. And then I, cause I'll, I'll tell you what, cause I, I left my, um, I left my job in 2011. So I was a full-time musician, you know, I've been a full-time self-employed for over 10 years now, but up until 2018, 2019, I was just doing music. I hadn't started my podcast. I wasn't doing lots of interviews and conversations like this and so on. And just doing music isn't really enough for me personally um, to satisfy every part of my brain. It satisfies the mm. creative side and the, the performative side. But I love having these type of conversations. So that's why I wanted to start my podcast. And it's why I started sharing more of my ideas on Twitter, because that's that's a really important part of me as well. And then like the physical side, that's also important. Like I have to exercise, I have to train, I have to do all of that. If I'm not satisfying all these different parts of me, then I kind of lose my, my equilibrium. Mm, it's like a balance. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to do a bunch of lightning round questions now. So this is a mix of my questions and audience questions. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Are you moving to the US? Maybe. Oh, dependent on, I'm going to be nosy and ask. <laughs> People are, people are going to want to know how soon. Okay. Well, I, I'm not, I mean, look, the world is in a lot of flux right now and it's harder than usual to plan ahead because stuff has just been chopping and changing so much sometimes on a month, month to month basis. Yeah. And I don't need to be, I'm totally location independent, both on a city and country level. So I don't need to be geographically in any in any one given place so while i'm in that situation i'm kind of happy to float around a little bit and be be nomadic so um i think it's likely but it's i don't i don't yet have like a hard plan like yep i'm settling in this city in this state and this is going to be my spot where would you hypothetically live probably texas or tennessee Interesting. I'm the same way. I can work anywhere there's Wi-Fi, so I feel you. There you go. 
What is your favorite food? Ice cream. Gelato to be specific. Um, I like salted caramel. I like pistachio. I like hazelnut. I like most flavors. I don't really like chocolate ice cream though, funnily enough. That's interesting. Yeah. What is your sleep and supplement regimen? Um, sleep, not quite enough, but when I'm on point, I, I normally sleep. I normally sleep about six hours a night, although seven would be preferable. Supplement, I every, my daily supplements are vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, quercetin, and vitamin C. Those are my daily ones and normally creatine as well for my, for my training. Okay. And of course, I always tell listeners, this is not medical advice. Talk to your doctor for any specific advice. Uh, what about diet? Any, any specific, I'm sure you have a very detailed diet plan. Please. I, I, I really don't. I really no. don't. I just eat. Yeah. Um, I normally do intermittent fasting. So mm. I normally have about an eight hour eating window. So I normally eat all my meals between about, it depends on the time, but maybe between 11 AM and 7 PM or 12, 12 PM and 8 PM, that kind of thing. I'll normally do that. But in terms of the foods I eat and don't eat, I'm very, very flexible. Um, I eat, I eat everything. I eat like as long as about 80%. I try to eat about 80% uh, clean. And then the other 20%, I don't care. Like I'll, I'll eat cookies. I'll eat ice cream. I'll eat cake. I'll eat pizza. I'll eat burgers. Um, My diet is nowhere near as strict as people think it is, but I also have quite a high caloric intake um, to maintain my weight. I need, you know, about 3,200, 3,300 calories a day. So I kind of have, and especially eating within that, within that window, I I have quite a bit of leeway to, uh, (laughs) to, so I don't, I don't do cheat days, but um, I'll, I'll have, you know, a couple of things here and here and there every day that are not you know, bodybuilding pro approved. Okay. You have a degree in computer science from Oxford university. How did your parents feel when you told them you were going to be a rapper? Full-time. Mm. Mm. Cause I, I was, cause I, I was, I was a rapper while I was at Oxford university. They were supportive. They were supportive. That's good. Um, a couple, couple questions, but ultimately they know that I don't make these decisions on a whim. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for how supportive my, my parents have been in my career. Actually. What inspires you as a musician? My life, the world, everything going on, interactions with other people, traveling, meeting different people, all of that. Um, And also wanting to put out a message of positivity and motivation and inspiration. I think we live in a, you know, we live, we live in a quite a negative world. Maybe the world's always been quite negative. There's always problems. There's always conflict. There's always divisions and all of that. And so I do my best to, you know, not, not in like a corny or a cheesy way, but um, I do my best to put out a message that is ultimately positive and optimistic and hopeful and to encourage other people to not do, not necessarily do exactly what I've done, but to do so in terms of seeking the truth, going after their dreams um, trying to maximize their own potential, self-improvement, self-development. I think all of that stuff is really important because I think that's how you actually make the world a better place. I don't think it's just through, uh, you know, going around and shouting at other people and screaming your opinions at everyone, but, you know, being a living embodiment of your own values and then encouraging other people 
through whatever means you have to go out there and do the same thing. So I try to do that in my music, on my social media, um, on my podcast, uh, in, in my writing, everything that I do. I hope that people can take something positive from it ultimately. Who's your favorite rapper? Tech Nine and Jay-Z. Oh, favorite Jay-Z song? Ooh, um, man, <laughs> that's hard. That's hard. There's a lot of them. Um, can I give a couple? Sure. Okay, let's go for um, The Evils, Lucky Me, um, Heart of the City. Um, man, there's so many Jay-Z songs. Yeah, let's go for those three. And that, that could change in a couple minutes, but let's go for I'm those I'm so right basic. Now. I'm like 99 problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good song. It's a good song. I do like Jay-Z. I feel like we're the only two non-woke people who enjoy the NFL halftime show. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was dope. That was so funny. Yeah. I had like a whole day of like, yeah, I was, it, it's, it's always funny when, um, I have days on Twitter where like, you know, it, I don't know because I'm I'm generally like my my audience is is more right leaning in general, um, but I, I I'm not one of these people I'm not I'm not a right wing NPC you know people forget those exist as well, so <laughs> I, I have like views and opinions that don't necessarily align with you know a lot of conservatives don't don't really like hip hop and whatever obviously I'm a rapper, um, but. I, yeah, that, that was, that was, it's always fun when, when I have an opinion or something where a large chunk of my audience is like, not, is, is not with it. Um, but yeah, I was like, come on guys, you're, you're kind of doing what you, you're kind of doing what you're, what you criticize the other side of doing all the time. Um, I also just think here's another thing to run. Maybe it, it, it's Twitter, but it goes beyond Twitter, which is that not everything has to be a culture war. You know, I think mm-hmm. people have gotten so into the political battle that it, it, they can't, I don't know, they can't see anything outside of it. They can't just like chill out for 10 minutes and just enjoy something. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're not a rap fan, right? Yeah. Like I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not into heavy metal, but if there was like a heavy metal band, you know, playing or whatever, I'm not going to. If it has a good gonna, beat, huh? if it has a good beat, you can enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, right? Yeah. But, I, but also it's just like, it's, it's just, it's just entertainment, man. Like it's not mm-hmm. a. It's not as deep as some people were really trying to make it out to be, you know, whether it's about Eminem kneeling and the politics behind it or, uh, the, uh, you know, some people were talking about the Masonic symboling. I'm like, I'm like, are you sure you're not just seeing what you want to, what you want to see or, you know, it's just like, I didn't see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's now. just like, dude, it was just, <laughs> it was just a, a fun, a fun performance. If you don't like hip hop, that's totally fine. Um, again, no, no one's making you, no one's making you watch it. But if you're going to watch it, it's just like, it's just a little bit of entertainment, right? They're not there. If, if they'd, like, I saw some of the reactions and I was like, if I hadn't seen the show myself and I just saw the reactions, I would have like envisioned that the show was very, very different. You know, when people are talking about, oh, it's, uh, this is not fit for children or, you know, it's sexual what anarchy, it that- <laughs> sexual anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> right? I was like, I would have expected, oh, wow. Did they have like, did they like bring out strippers or have girls like yeah. twerking in, the, you know, you know, I mean, it's hip hop, right? Like that does exist in music videos and stuff. I'd be like, oh, wow. Did they do that on stage? Or, you know, were they swear, were they cussing? Were they, were I they swearing it was pretty on stage? Wholesome and then I watched it. I was like, part. okay, like nobody sweared. Nobody, nobody swore. No one said the Yeah, they self-censored. 
yeah, there were no, there were no naked girls. I was like, for hip hop, that was like as PG <laughs> as you're gonna get really like, you know, just if it's not your thing, that's okay. But it, it, it's, it, I don't know. It doesn't need to be a whole, you know, the left and the right. And it's like, dude, like, it's not about, it's just, I think you can enjoy music. the music and enjoy the art without <laughs> necessarily being like a hundred percent in alignment with every aspect of someone's politics. Of course. And I think it's sad. And I made this point. I think it's sad that when people can't do that, you know, some people are like, well, well I'm not able to compartmentalize it. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. I mean, that's up to you, but I think that's kind of a shame. I mean, if I could only listen to music or consume art from people who totally politically aligned with, I mean, I'm not going to be listening to much music or watching many movies. <laughs> sit in silence. You know? <laughs> That's why they have that five minute rule. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, it just seems unnecessarily limited. And also, you know, I'll be real. I, I think it's quite, I think it's quite immature. I think if you're going to, isn't this what people criticize like the woke people for, you know, they can't, they can't deal with any dissenting, opinions or anything that might slightly offend them or isn't politically totally aligned with them or you know it's just like look man we're we're adults i'm i'm able to see things and hear things and read things that i don't that i don't necessarily agree with let alone like um and not respond like child you know not 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 throw a tantrum <laughs> i can engage you know it's it's okay you know sometimes even if stuff is offensive like if something is like really really deeply offensive to me at the core then i'll i'll avoid it right like i, mm -hmm. I won't i won't spend my time con consuming it if there's a movie out there that comes out and it's like i'm like oh wow i take major issue with this movie i'm not gonna i'm not gonna watch it right i'm not gonna watch it and then get mad as I'm watching it and then go and project that all over the place. Um, you know, we have freedom of, we have freedom of association as well, but if something's just like slightly offensive, it's like, okay, you know, I, I, can, turn it off. I, I can, I can handle that. Um, it's not a, it's not the end of the world. I'm not being physically, I'm not being physically hurt. It's okay. I know you refrain from swearing. Do you find it difficult to avoid using curse words? No, not at all. They're not even in my active vocabulary. Do you have replacement words? Um, not really. No, it's just like I, I've never. What do you say when you're mad? When you're really mad? <laughs> what do I say when I'm really mad? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Crap. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't like self censor. I just don't use swear words. Like they're not. It's not like they're there, and mm. I'm trying to suppress it. It's just like it's yeah. not. It's not there. Like I know the words, you, but it's not. Have in you my ever used vocab. it? Like I, I wonder if it's if you've never sworn. It's just not a habit, so it's not something you need to suppress. Yeah, exactly. You know, everything is habitual. Most things are habitual. So if someone gets used to swearing a lot and that's their habit, then it can be quite hard for them to suppress it. Um, but similarly, if you don't swear, and you know, no one, in, no one in my family swears. My parents don't. My my siblings don't. So you know, and, and we've grown up like that. So it's, it's fine. You know, it's like me not drinking alcohol. Like I forget, I don't drink alcohol. I forget until someone reminds me, like, just like I forget, I don't cuss until someone brings it up. <laughs> it's not um, like, Oh, I really want to, I really want to drink alcohol. <laughs> like I really want to drink alcohol and I'm, you know, resisting. It's just like, mm -hmm. it doesn't even cross my mind to ever drink. So I, 
I, I don't, I don't do it. It's not until I'm in a social situation or something and someone like offers me a drink or pours me a drink and I'm like, Oh, actually like I, I don't drink. It's okay. Um, and then do you have people, cause I don't drink either, but people mm. assume that means that I smoke weed and I don't smoke weed. <laughs> do people assume that about you? Um, people assume I smoke weed cause I'm a rapper, but I don't okay. do that either. Yeah. I've never even tried it. Um, me again, either. Like I, I don't, we, we, it, what's funny about it is a lot of people also think that because I don't do those things that like, I have a gigantic issue with it. I don't, um, you know, like hard drugs and stuff. That, that's another issue. I, I'll, I'll take more issue with that. If someone's drinking around me, like, I don't, I don't care. It happens. It happens all the time. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, everyone, every, almost all my friends and family members, you know, drink alcohol, like not, not, not drink themselves into a stupor, but just drink alcohol. Like normally, like have a wine with a meal, champagne for a celebration, have a beer here and there. It's fine. I have no problem with it whatsoever. It's just a personal, it's just a personal decision. Um, what is your not, reason for abstaining? I have no reason to drink. <laughs> That's I don't, a very I don't simple see, way to put it. I don't see the upside, right? To me, it's all downside. Um, I don't particularly like the taste. It's expensive. It reduces your inhibitions and faculties. And also I'm very, um, I'm already extroverted and confident. So I think a lot of people, especially in the West, a lot of people, especially in England, drink because <laughs> they're they're quite uh, suppressed and what's the right word I'm looking for? Inhibited. Mm -hmm. um, and they need it to have the confidence, whether that's to dance or to socialize and talk to people and whatever. I'm not like that. Like I can dance sober. I can talk to people sober. I can do all that sober. It's totally fine. So... I mean, I've had times when people think I'm drunk when I'm not like I'm totally sober <laughs> and people think I'm drunk just because I'm having fun. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just enjoying the music and enjoying the company. So I don't have that. I don't have that crutch either. And another thing as well is I grew up in a country where it was illegal. So right, yeah. it wasn't like it just kind of wasn't a big deal. It was just like, OK, you know, there's that thing. And, you know, when I was uh, when I was I mean, I stopped drinking completely, stopped drinking completely when I was about 22 or 23, I was never like a big, like a big drinker. Um, but you know, when I was in my late teens, you know, mid to late teens and early twenties, I kind of just drank normally socially. And then at, yeah, 22, 23, I was like, you know what? I just kind of stopped. And I think now that I've stopped for so long, you know, I think maybe I like the fact of being able to say, Oh yeah, I haven't, I haven't drunk for like 12 years. Mm -hmm. So I kind of don't want to, Maybe I also just kind of don't want to break that break that streak now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe that's a that's how I feel. Well. Even if someone has something and they're like, "Do you want to try it?" I don't even want to try it because I'm like, I like that I've gone so long. It's like, why would I want to? Why mm. break that? If someone wants to give me like a little taste of their cocktail or something, I'll have like I'll have like a little sip. Um, but yeah, in terms of like having a drink to myself, no. Okay, Zuby, where can everyone find you, and what are you working on next? Sure thing. So. I am, I can be found at Zuby Music, Z-U-B-Y Music on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Minds.com, everything. If you go to teamzuby.com, you can find my music, my books, my merchandise there as well. And um, I'm going to have some live events coming up this year. So keep a lookout for that. 
I've, I don't know if, I don't think I've revealed this to anybody, but I'm, I've got a children's book coming out later this year. Ooh, yeah. It's going to be exciting. about health and fitness. It's going to be, uh, that's amazing. Congratulations. A, thank you. Thank you. Um, so we are working on the script. It's all, um, it's all going to rhyme as well. So I've got a children's <laughs> book coming <laughs> and, um, I've got a concert in the metaverse coming up. Uh, oh, wow. and a, a lot of random cool stuff is going to happen this year. I, I can't, uh, I'm not even aware of all of it yet to reveal, but lots of opportunities are in the pipeline. I'm talking to lots of interesting people. So just keep an eye out. I want to know. So you in the metaverse, what is your avatar look like? What are you wearing? It looks just like me. It looks just like me. Um, (laughs) wearing a team Zuby head, wearing a team Zuby t-shirt and purple headphones. And I've got some kind of funky glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Deborah. Have a great day.